Morning, everybody. A prayer. We're going to pray. We're going to agree together that there'd be a, a real anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's enabling power uh, on you, on me. This is the Word of God, anointing on the Word, anointing in your heart to receive it. Pray with me about it. Uh, not, I'm not the one, the only one praying here, right? You are going to want this anointing, understanding from the Lord. Just pray with me. Father, thank you for the Word of God and thank you for what you can do with it in our hearts. And we pray today, fresh anointing, great anointing on the Word of God upon every heart, upon every believer. Holy Spirit, come be the Spirit of truth. Thank you for the understanding that was on the heart of Jesus when he was a man. Lord, give to us the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of understanding today. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. These, uh, these church prayer goals, the three, um, like you, I was waiting for David to tell us what they were. And when he named them, I thought, that's exactly right. I mean, he did say to me at home, he thought, just one goal. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, David, really three is the magic number, you know. <laughs> so he came up with three. But there's a wonderful way to abbreviate them so that you, you don't even have to write them down. Just remember them. Because do you remember what they are? We're praying for the word of God to go out from this place all over the world. We're praying that people would come in. And we're praying that our, you and I, our lives, would be very fruitful. Well, this is how you abbreviate it. It's very simple. You ready? The word goes out. People come in. And those who come in do well. Can you remember that? The word goes out. People come in. <clears throat> we do well. There's your abbreviation. That word going out, uh, this 100,000 goal for subscribers, I agree completely. I didn't tell David. The moment all that talk was here on Vision Sunday about YouTube and the subscribers we had, I've been praying for 100,000 since then. In fact, I think, oh, I've got up my game. I'm going to pray for 100,000, but in my heart, I'm going to believe we'll hit 110 uh, this year. You, You've got to believe for something. The interesting thing is, when you pray consistently and believe for it, that's, you, you usually get it, and that's why you usually get it. We had a miracle here years ago, around about the year 2005, maybe, give or take a year or three. Uh, I said to all our staff at the very beginning of the year, now David Hood was on the staff, Tony Ponicky, Michael Appleton, Philip Alley was, uh, and whoever else we had, I said, I said to them, I want you each to select a goal that you're going to pray for all year long and believe that the Lord will give it to us this year. And I didn't, they all had a different goal. I don't even remember what mine was. I remember what David's was. He was praying for the unity of the body of Christ in Rockhampton. It's hard to measure that. But, sure, but then lots of us were praying that anyway, and sure, that's really gone places. I can't remember any of the others, but I can remember Phillips. Phillips' goal was for $100,000 to be given to the church over and above our usual income. Well, he prayed for it every day through January, February, March, April, May, June. And no one came in and gave $100,000. But at the end of the June, we added up the income from because it, it's also the time of the summit and mission offerings and various things. And we did all of that and it was all normal, all seemingly normal. But when we added it all up, it was $100,000 more than we had any other year, more than we'd expected. And 
Uh, everything else had grown too. It, all over. No, this is what happens. If, if we can believe for $100,000 then over and above, we can believe for 100,000 subscribers surely. Anyway, uh, I'm encouraging it. Now, it's not only YouTube, of course, it's, it's other things we do, but um, in the word going out, teams going out, books, everything else. But it's a measurable one. Well, quick report on my book. Last week I sent out chapter 11, the, the new book, The Testing of Apostles. Tomorrow we're sending out chapter 12. After that, we're coming to the pointy end of the book now, four more chapters. And um, next few weeks I, I hope to be done and in my own mind, I'm debating whether to we all do self, you know, whether we do self-publishing, really push it through social media, or whether I should get at last a, you know, professional commercial publisher somewhere. I'm thinking about that. I have never known in all my life, I've never known a greater struggle, more opposition, more warfare, more being hit hard by things you can't predict than over that book. It's been hugely demanding. It's almost drained a lot of life out of me just fighting the war. And yet, I've got more victory in place now. You know, there's more of a roll on. Um, I can tell you what some of those things are. I'm not going to take time, but I want to... Th- it's not only that. Over the years, we've, we've, we've obtained victories in lots of ways, and I just wanted to thank you today for all your prayers, the prayers I've received from so many people and in so many meetings. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, somehow that book has been a challenge. It's needed in the heavens um, anyway, more about that later. It's not our subject for today. So I want to thank you for your prayers. Now, to our subject. We sang this morning, in one of those songs, there was a line where, whether you even thought about it at the time, we often, the words go up often, you sing them, you don't even think about it, right? And I'll bet you nobody much noticed this line. You sang, when I pass through death, as I enter rest. Do you remember singing that line? Only came up one little spot. It turns out, because in that particular line, it's referring to entering heaven as entering our rest. And it turns out that in Christian hymns over hundreds of years, the word rest has come up again and again. It's very common, perhaps not in modern choruses, but it was common in hymns. And not, never with just the same meaning. That referring to heaven was one meaning, but there were others. Now, the reason it has come up so much in Christian songs is because the word rest comes up so much in the Bible. And from the very beginning of the scriptures, rest is introduced as a major theme, a major factor. It's a major doctrine of the Holy Scriptures. And there's a reason. So we encounter it first when we discover that God himself took rest from his work. And so you uh, may as well read it, Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So important, just in those three verses, it goes over and over, a little repetitive the way that's written, but on purpose. Now here, um, it introduces the idea that rest is holy. It also introduces the idea 
of a seven-day week. In fact, later on in the command, it says you'll work six days and rest one day. The seventh day will be a Sabbath. And the word Sabbath, by the way, simply means rest. It's so very important that God acted this out as if the untiring one who's, who's never in a rush and yet he's always there, you know, and the, in fact, the old song we used to sing was un, unresting, unhasting when we sang about the Lord. That, that's a fantastic, it's probably my favorite song. And, um, but he, he demonstrated this and declared it holy. An interesting thing is by doing this, introduced to us the notion of a seven day week. Isn't it interesting that pretty much everything else on the calendar relates to the sun or the moon? In other words, there's a, there's a season to it. The, the year is, there's a, you know, the, the solar system produces for us the sense of a year, the sense of months, because it produces days and seasons, summer, autumn, winter, you know, all, everything else on the calendar comes from the created world, but not the seven day week. It's, it's, it, it's not in step with that at all. And yet here is the greatest thing, the greatest blessing to the human race something the Lord purposely put in place, who'd be without their weekend? Hmm? Uh, <laughs> we, we thought we've improved on it. Let's, let's work five days and, and rest two, you know. Now, let's go four and three. Anyway, the Lord put this in place, the idea that work is holy and rest is holy. In fact, without the work, the rest is not all that holy. It's indolence. But... Here it is. So rest comes up right at the very beginning, but it's not all. Um, there's another thing. When, when the Lord called Abraham and, and brought him out from where he was and put him in, in Canaan, he made him a tent dweller, a nomad. He had to wander around, live in tents all his life, as did his son and and his son. So there were generations and you came all the way down to, you know, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. They're all tent dwellers. They're all nomads. But from the beginning, the Lord had promised them a land, the land they were wandering in that wasn't theirs. He would give it to them and that this would be the land of their rest. And along with the idea of rest in the land, rest from your wanderings. It, it's also closely associated with the idea this is your inheritance. This is the place where finally you'll have a home. There's that sense in which finally you're about to put your feet up on the couch and get your rest and there'll be rest from your enemies and uh, so on and so forth. And so the notion of the promised land as the land of rest comes up really big. And so rest in various ways is built into the, the life and the lifestyle and the theology and the religion and the Old Testament's full of it. So, however, when the time came, Moses, with God's power, brings now all the children of Israel out of Egypt, brings them to Sinai, covenant is made. And in that covenant, by the way, as a sign of the covenant, they must rest one day in seven. Sign of the covenant. And then this no sooner happens and he brings them to the promised land. Here it is, the land of promise, the land of their rest. 
And they send in spies to spy out the land, 12 of them, and in go the spies, and they come back with a report. The land is so fruitful, they bring back fruit, you know, huge bunches of grapes. Two of the spies, the two you know about, Caleb and Joshua, they said, oh, no, the land is wonderful, so fruitful, and yes, uh, you know, we can easily... We can easily conquer it. We can easily take it. The other 10 spies came back with a fearful report. Oh, it's a very fruitful land, but oh, this is a land that, swallow, that swallows up its inhabitants. Oh, giants live there. You know, it's terrible. And they, they purposely exaggerated and told an overwhelming story that stirred up the fear of all the people. And you, the, the story actually, huge um, Num- is it Numbers chapter 14? The whole chapter is so interesting to read. And the tumult that was in the camp that night. Here's the people wailing all night, bitter all night, cranky all night, and um, so full of fear. No, they're, they're not going to obey Moses and go into the land. In fact, they said, let's elect ourselves another leader. Let's go back to Egypt. We're going to perish in this desert. Our children will become a prey. And you, you couldn't believe the hubbub and the, the, the anger and the turmoil and the rebellion and the Lord had to deal with it. The other ten spies, the ten spies who brought the bad report all died by plague. And the Lord issued a judgment. He said, all right, you complained that you were going to die in this desert. That's what will happen. But your children of whom you said would become a prey, I'll bring them to inherit the land. In fact, in all of this, Moses, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. I'll raise a new nation from you. This is one of the greatest intercessions. Moses entered into prayer and pleads with the Lord. Wonderful intercessory prayer. And um, of course, it's what the Lord wanted anyway. And he says, no, they're going to wander in this desert now until all the generation of men 20 years and older who rebelled have lived their lives and passed away in the desert and their children I'll take into the land. And that's what happened. And that's where you get this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness from. They, were, they refused to enter the land of promise because of fear. In fact, we're going to take a quick look at Hebrews 4 that talks about this very thing. I'm giving you the background so that you know what we're going to be talking about. So that was the land, of, supposed to be the land of their rest, the promised land, the land of their inheritance. And um, this is why we come across in Psalm 95:11 by King David, who spoke about it, where in verse 11, therefore I swore in my wrath, said the Lord, they shall not enter my rest. In other words, the Lord took an oath, this generation will not enter my rest. Oh, all of a sudden now, we're talking about God's rest. We're talking about something of another order again. And this is what we find as we go through the scripture. So there was a rest that was promised to Israel. But remember in our studies of the book of Hebrew, Hebrews, we say, Hebrews is a comparison between the, it was written for the sake of, of Jewish people who'd become Christians, showing them a comparison between Old Covenant and New Covenant and there were so many things better. Christ better than Moses. Christ better than angels. A better, a better high priest. Better sacrifices. Better promises is a big one. Well, it turns out there's a better rest. And uh, that's what I want to show you today. So what was it? What was the better rest? Uh, 
Glad you asked. Here we are, Matthew 11, 28, 30. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it was a, it was a key word he used. You read that and you think he's just talking about you feeling better if you come to Jesus, but actually for the Jews, this must have been a big buzzword. I will give you rest. In other words, you don't get rest from being in the land at all. The land doesn't give rest. That rest, that, that rest has still to be found. What is it? Jesus said, I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. So here's the question before we look at the passage in the book of Hebrews. The question we're going to ask is, what is this rest today? What, what ultimately was the rest? Why was this buzzword all through scripture all along? What does it bring to us in the gospel? What rest comes to us because of the gospel of Christ? And there are four things I want to name and explain briefly. And you are meant to obtain all four. Three in this life and a confidence in God about the other one. So here are the four. The first form of rest, and it's not just, this is not just symbolic. This is stuff you experience. This is actually part of life itself and you need it. The first is your salvation through the cross of Christ means that you become completely acceptable to God, but not on a basis of your own effort and your own work. In other words, you don't have to sort yourself out. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to come to the place where you've lived a good enough life that you can be acceptable to God. It's impossible anyway. In other words, it's not salvation by works. It's not salvation by religious effort either. It's not a case of going through all the motions, whether it's Jewish ones or any other ones, to try and be religious enough for God, to be trying good enough for God. He's got nothing to do with that anymore. Instead of it being your work, it is the finished work of Jesus. There was a work done. He lived the life that you should have lived. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you, you come into Jesus. He comes into you and a wonderful salvation takes place. And along with that, the forgiveness of your sins the cleansing of your guilty conscience. And it's such a wonderful relief because after years of being lost and, and, and under burdens and sin and despair or else after years of, of trying to be good enough for God, ah, sigh relief and born again, saved, accepted in the beloved, at peace with God. This is what the scripture says. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. You've entered into already, that's the moment you're born again, you have entered into what is an eternal rest. You've been accepted in the beloved, received into Christ, made one with God the Father. This is salvation by grace, not by works, by grace. And what might come to mind immediately, particularly if you're like me and grew up singing old gospel songs a long time ago, what comes to mind is the old gospel song that says, I have ceased from my wanderings. See, it picks up that word from, from old Israel, their wanderings in the wilderness. Because that really is 
a symbolic picture of wandering around in sin. So the old gospel song says, I have ceased from my wanderings and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. So that's the first rest you must find. If you're not born again, you need to be born again. You must find salvation by grace so that you can stand in the grace of God. Ah, what a relief. You're accepted by the Lord. Your name is written in heaven. You're on your way home. Number two, the Bible does say in another place to pray about everything rather than be anxious about anything. And Jesus himself said, why worry and fret about tomorrow? Your father knows what you need. Trust him. So when you're in the Lord, when you're born again, when you've got this wonderful rest that's been put in place, you've also got concerns in life. There'll be burdens in life and uh, there are things that would be anxieties and fears if you couldn't cast them upon the Lord. This is what prayer is for. And so you are meant to be able to find peace of mind, peace of heart, rest for your souls. This is one of the things Jesus said, if you come to him, you'll find rest for your souls. And so all of us, especially at sometimes more than others, you'll have things to otherwise be very anxious about and it could drive you nuts. It could get you depressed. It could get you fearful. It could get you angry if you couldn't. Pray it through and find the peace of the Lord. So in other words, in all your circumstances, finding his peace, finding his power flowing, this is what keeps you in a sense of being at home and at rest in other words, relief for the heart, relief for the mind, relief from anxiety, the healing of anxieties, the healing of fears. This is what is meant to take place for the praying Christian and does. It's amazing how, how this works. Christians everywhere experiencing uh, the, these joy, the joys of life and the peace of the Lord Jesus. So we can say rest from anxiety and fretting your ability to cast life's burdens and cares upon the Lord Jesus. Very important expression of the rest of God. But there's a third one on earth in this life. And we're talking about a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about grace working in you in answer to your prayers that brings you to the place where you're not just forgiven with, uh, of your sins, but you overcome sinning. You, in other words, you break the power of sins. Now, this is especially an important truth for, for anyone who has a besetting sin. Now, most of us do have, we have certain things in life we don't struggle with, and the moment you're converted, they go. But often there's other things that don't go so easily because for some reason, you, 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 you keep finding yourself, you're going back to it. P pornography is an example. Uh, there are other things that may be example. O overcoming anger, overcoming impatience. Some, there are some things that, that seem to not just want to go. And the Bible calls these a besetting sin. They beset you. They, they keep aggravating you. They keep coming back and you might, you might not, you might hate it. You might not want it, but you can't overcome it. The power of it has to be broken. And it is broken 
by experiencing what is called the entire sanctification of the soul. In other words, the power of the Holy Spirit getting into all of those things and breaking the power of them. Now, obviously there are things in life that none of you are tempted to do. And if you saw the thing, you wouldn't be the least tempted. For example, going through the, the checkout in the supermarket and you see a shelf full of cigarettes, most of us, once, once that's gone for people, there's not even a temptation. I mean, I, I walk through there, see those things. Uh, I couldn't care less about them. If someone, or, or if I bump into someone outside and they're a smoker and they say, oh, would you like a smoke? You're not drawn to it. Yeah, oh, thank you very much, no. In other words, it, it, there's nothing to it that kind of tugs on the heart. And what I'm saying is that even in the area of your, of your besetting sins, the, th the sins that do tug on your heart, you can find grace to break that so it no longer tugs on the heart. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're walking through the checkout and the checkout chick has actually left a $20 note sitting there next to the register, you know, for the, for the occasional person, there's a temptation. To <laughs> but as you know, you and I, it's not a temptation. You see the thing sitting there, you wouldn't think of, you don't, just don't think of it, it just doesn't occur to you. But for some piece of people, they couldn't resist that. Well, what's the difference? The fact is, any matter at all, including big issues like pornography, that tug on the heart and you can't seem to overcome them, but you can. And, but this is another form of rest where the power of the Holy Spirit breaks the power of that thing so that this this thing that drew you and you couldn't resist now becomes just like one of the other things that it's there, but totally resistible because the thing in your heart that somehow anchored you to it is gone. Let me tell you the power of the cross can do that. It can break those things and you just go free. And I should know because years past, numbers of occasions I experienced, you know, you've got to go to the Lord in prayer. You cry out to the Lord, say, Lord, I must be free. And you find this moment of grace where something shifts and, oh, you find yourself free of it. It's a work of the cross. It's a work of grace. And this is all part and parcel of coming into his rest. So how would we summarize that? We'd say it's a deeper work of the cross where you receive not just forgiveness and grace from God, but rest from bondage, bondage broken. Overcoming sin, especially besetting sin, finding a holy life, a life of purity. And here's a good verse, Romans 8.37. No, somebody will pop it on the screen. Romans 8.37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's what brings you into rest. There's great rest in that. So there's your goal. Three levels of rest. What's all this mean? Friends, in the Old Testament, when the promised land was put there, the sense of rest, the sense of inheritance, ultimately, it was never about the land. That land was a symbol of Jesus. All the Jews were meant to come into Jesus, as well as all the Gentiles, and many Jews did. And this is why in the New Testament, you never, ever, ever again see any reference to the land, as you, that is the land of Israel, as your inheritance. Why? It's not. 
And that would be a very unsuitable gospel anyway. How could all everyone in the whole world rush over there? No, it's not about the land. The land is not your inheritance. Christ is your inheritance. The land is not the place of rest. Christ is the place of rest. It's no longer a case now of you're blessed if you're born in the land. You're blessed if you're by in the land. You know, living in the land, uh, that's where your fruitfulness will be. No, no, no. You're born into Christ. You're fruitful in Christ. You die in Christ. Christ is your inheritance. And with that in full view, when you read through the New Testament, so much makes sense. As a little reading now of the book of Hebrews will. The fourth one, of course, was entering heaven. Um, That's entering his rest. The Bible talks about it as being his rest and God's rest. And it, that it refers to us as, uh, as entering God's rest and that being our, our Sabbath. Look, Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our rest. So I want to take you now, now that we've given you basically the, the, the message, the scripture we go to here will make more sense to read. So we're going to read a, a little piece out of Hebrews 3. This is uh, 7 to 11. And what you need to know is that this little piece, Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, is, even though it's written up in the book of Hebrews, it is citing Psalm 95. It's a quotation from the Psalm of David. And there are two words in this I want to point out. So the first, of course, is the first word of the quote. So therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... This is the quote. Today. Now that's the first word I want you to make note of because in reading Hebrews uh, 3 and 4, the word today gets used repeatedly. And ultimately, what you need to know about that word today, because it says here, you know, today if you hear his voice, it's referring to this season in life in which the gospel or the Word of God is available to you. It's, and the New Testament, um, or do we jump over? Yes, show 2 Corinthians 6, chapter 2 on the screen, then we go back to Psalm 95. Um, yeah, look. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the day of salvation, considered one great day, that's the today being referred to. And, and the, the today is going to last all the way up until Christ comes. But there does come a day, a time, when that day closes. The door is shut. Time will be no more. It is judgment. It is then too late. You are meant to find the mercies of God. You're meant to seek the word of God. You're meant to seek to know his rest while today is still called today. So that's, that's why this word comes up. It's an, it's an urgency. Okay, back to Hebrews 3, 7, 11, where we are reading this quotation from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, it's talking about the rebellion I told you about from Numbers 14, where they rebelled and would not go into the promised land. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked. Now, that's the other word I want you to see. I was provoked 
with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So in its original setting, it's talking about the fact, well, this crowd who provoke me, they're not going into that land. But it has obviously a bigger and more important message for all of mankind. Don't provoke the Lord. Don't harden your heart. Listen, you want his voice. You want his word. You want his word to so transform your life that you come into that rest. Now this word provoked, um, because it it comes up, this, this passage comes up twice in the Bible. It comes up in Hebrews 3, where it's a translation from Greek, and it comes up in Psalm 95, obviously, in which we have a Greek version of it, but the original was Hebrew. And what I was interested in is the different ways it's translated, because very often one English word doesn't convey the whole meaning of the original Hebrew word. So I took a look, and here are here are some of the common ways it's translated in different Bibles. He, he was angry with that generation, was one version. Uh, weary is another. Grieved is another. Loathed, he loathed that generation is another. Here's a good one. One, one translation says he was disgusted with that generation. <laughs> so, but all of that is in the meaning of the words, and both in the Hebrew and the Greek. All right, so let's, let's jump now to where to where I want to go for us to actually read the scriptures today. This is Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, it's the 13 13 verses, but we're going to take it in three little sections, and I want you to notice just a few of the features as we read through. So Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 5, that's what will be there. Uh, I'll read and you follow. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Um, Okay, why does he say that? Why is the writer here saying, where does he get it from? Where does he get the authority to be able to say the promise of entering his rest still stands? And he's saying this 2,000 years ago from us now, but he was saying it a long time after Moses was trying to lead them into the promised land. Long time after he'd given the the promise to Moses, to Abraham that he would. That's... That's another 2,000 years. Where does this writer get the authority to say, or the information to say, while the promise of entering his rest still stands? He gets it from King David. Because when King David wrote Psalm 95, he's writing this a long time after Moses, and he's writing it a long time after the children of Israel had finally entered the land. So David is basically saying, well, we entered the land... But today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. No, David was obviously very, very aware there's something else we're supposed to enter into. But this comes to us as a gospel message. What you're reading here is is being written to now Christians. Christ has died. He's risen. He's ascended. He's reigning. All this has been well established. And then this word gets written and is written to you. The promise of entering his rest still stands. And it still stands for everybody in the world. And this is why we're praying for the church to grow. It's why we're praying for the word to go out and for people to come in and for people to be fruitful. Because the promise of entering his rest still stands. So let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to have reached it. 
These warnings come up all the time in Scripture. You can't take it for granted. You can't take it as a, as a fact, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You've, you've got to know that this Word has transformed you and that you are in Him. There's got to be a sense of genuine security in the heart. It's got to come from facts, not feelings. You've got to know the Lord. You've got to actually enter the rest, taken advantage of the rest. You, you, you eat and drink of that rest. You must know him. Verse two, for the good news came to us. Okay, now he's making this in comparison. He's saying good news came to them about entering the land, and, but good news came to us about entering Christ. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because, uh, here's an interesting phrase, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? In other words, most of them were not of the same mind and heart as those who, when they heard, believed. You, have, you must be one with the believers. Those who have discovered this faith and walk in it and Christ is alive in them, you must be like that. Unite yourself in faith. Find Christ as others have. For verse 3, here's an interesting statement. For we who have believed enter that rest. Yes, you only get in by faith, not by works, obviously, as he has said. Um, and this all gets a little convoluted here. But if we jump to verse 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So now what he's saying is, the whole thing is really about entering the Lord's rest. So it's not just a matter of a day off and a feet up on the couch or ah, you've overcome your burdens. No, there's something much more vast. And this is the whole point, of course. Ultimately, the, the last enemy that must be destroyed is death, the scripture says. There, there is a purpose in every one of us facing death, the body dying and then resurrection coming. And, and there are things here we do not understand. It's beyond us. You can't understand all the ways of God. You can't even understand yourself. But the Lord has said, he's got far, far superior plans, something of another order, something of another dimension that you can't even begin to imagine. But, but somehow this concept or this, it's, it's described to us in terms of entering God's rest, becoming one with him, becoming like him, being molded into the life of Christ for eternity. Thank God for it. Anyway, verse six, we move on to the next little passage in Hebrews, the following verses, six to 10. Therefore, now, now this is speaking to you directly now, since, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today. Remember I said today is an important word. Saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Joshua, by the way, in Hebrew, the Hebrew language, and the word, the name Jesus is the identical name. So Joshua who led the Israelites into Egypt 
and Jesus who went to the cross for you so that you could be brought into him and into his rest, the name's the same. Joshua or Jesus in Hebrew, because it's Yeshua. So, so if one, that Joshua had not given them, he took them into the promised land and they conquered it. And by their own admission and by the Holy Scriptures, it says all the promises that the Lord gave them were fulfilled. But they didn't find rest. Why? Because the real rest would come from another day that was appointed. That's what he's talking about here. Again, he appoints a certain day. For if Joshua, oh, verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, here's, here's kind of like a conclusion. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In summary, there are three things that will keep you out of God's rest by three things you are able to enter. Unbelief will keep you out of God's rest. An unbelief is not necessarily a state of not believing anything. Unbelief is actually a state of believing something differently to the way the Lord wants you to believe it. You are meant to really learn the faith of Jesus Christ believing with him, not having your heart hardened. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, it's not possible. Believe with him. Faith, your unbelief keeps you out of rest. The second thing is disobedience keeps you out of rest. And uh, as it did them. And so obedience, hearing the voice of the Lord, understanding and agreeing with him, walking in his ways, that becomes a very important part of the Christian life. But the third thing named here is resting from your own works as God did from his. This is not a reference to your daily work. It's not a reference to the fact that you go to work. We are, we are appointed to work. We're appointed to serve. Uh, work gives you a sense of identity. It gives you a sense of perspective. It gives you a sense of well-being. You're a healthier person if you work. We are designed to work. Why the Lord set the model in place. Work six days and rest seven. You want to be a healthy person, value work, love work, realize there's, there's purpose for it all. You, if anyone will not work, neither should he eat, the scripture says. No, work, work is highly important and you should love to work. But you should, we're not, this is not talking about that kind of work. The labor of your hands or the serving of other people, nor mowing the lawn and washing the car. We're not talking about that something else. You must cease from your own works has much more to do with your inner life. The, the pride of your heart, selfish ambitions, feeling like you've got to look good in the eyes of other people, you know, trying to measure up in your own eyes and in God's eyes. We're talking religious works. We're talking spiritual works. We're, we're talking about being a driven person. We're talking about thinking that Oh, I've got to try harder. Or, or you know, uh, either way, we talk a lot about that. It's a big subject. Uh, but you, a very important part of coming into a real faith-grace relationship with the Lord is something in the inside breathes a sigh of relief. And, uh, you know, and you, you somehow flow. In the grace of God, you have ceased from striving. Ceased from your own works and you are trusting him to work on your 
behalf. Wonderful place of grace to be. So now we come to the last little piece of the passage, Hebrews 4, 11 to 13. And you might think there's a sudden change of subject here, but, but probably not. The writer was about to say this for, for good reason. Um, it's not the first verse I'm talking about, it's the rest there. Uh, Hebrews 4, 11 to 13. Can someone please uh, change that? Right. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest. This is interesting. Strive. Funny thing. But, but again, it's, they're not, it's not religious works in the striving here. It's more a case of are you willing to get on your face before God because you must find this rest. Rest for your soul. Rest from striving. You, you, the, the overcoming of besetting sin. Get, get out of all that. You know, you, there's something you hate that keeps beating you up and then you keep beating yourself up. Break the power of sin. Are you willing to get on your face and seek the face of God? Are you willing to, to confess it enough, hate it enough, disown it enough, get to the place in your prayer where in your heart, see, this is the real issue. You've got to get to the place in your prayer where in your heart you give up loving that thing. And you say, Lord, I must be free, and something shifts. Strive to enter that rest. So that, this is, this is the kicker, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You don't want to fall from your faith. You don't want to fall in sin. You don't want to fall away from God by hardening your heart. And if people, if, if people more and more, you know, accept their sins and bury it and kind of play with it and, 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 and convince themselves, oh, it's not that bad. They're hardening their heart. It's only in prayer that you find the breakthroughs. Anyway, that's why the writer now says what he's about to say and it's important to us. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So therefore, all of us, on your face before God, let the word of God search you out. Let the power of the word divide in you between soul and spirit and break that wretched thing that is still the besetting sin of your soul. Come clean, come free, and find the rest that he offers you. You're on the way, you're on the journey to Christ-likeness, to the fully sanctified heart and a better resurrection. Praise God. In, in a closing moment, let's apply some of this thought to listening prayer. We have a week of listening prayer ahead of us. Uh, not everyone has a whole week in which to stop and listen. You have to work. Some of us will be able to be here longer hours, some all day. You need to, 
come in and in here it actually is, come in and sit and listen when you can. There's a corporate action on behalf of, you know, as a church for we must hear God. We must allow him to say what he wants to say when he wants to say it and position ourselves. Basically, we're waiting on the Lord. We wait for him. And if you, if you want to understand what uh, more about it was all about, but not necessarily in terms of listening, do a little search in the Bible on the word waiting or wait for God, waiting for God, waiting on the Lord. There's lots of that. That, that comes up a lot. Well, here's one of them, Isaiah 40. And, and this is what the kind of thing we're talking about. Verse 29 to 31. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. Yes, they do. Uh, I read a case this week of a young first grade footballer just in the last little while. He was only 22, I think. But after training session and workout, he died. Pushed too hard on a hot day. No, even young, even young, healthy people grow exhausted and weary. And doctors had warned that club of the danger of heat exhaustion. So even the young. Now, of course, that's a, that's a physical analogy, but he's trying to promise you something. He says, even the young grow weary, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And for me, one of the things that seems to always come out of waiting on the Lord, silence before God, listening prayer is this renewal of strength. It's a, it, it, and I find it works out in the body and the mind. It's not, it's not just a sense of peace. It's not just a sense of all feeling like you, you're more right with God than you were before. No, it's somehow it works to the renewal. I find I, I, I can go out feeling refreshed. I can go out feeling more energy, energetic in the body. If I go out finding I have a clearer mind, Gen, it's, the scripture speaks truthfully when it says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Although admittedly the strength being referred to is not in this case physical strength. Some of that comes because why? When there's buoyancy within, when there's joy within, when there's peace in the heart, ah, when you feel the rest of the Lord, guess what? You feel energetic. You feel like going out and doing something. You know, life, life has meaning and purpose again. So yes, it translates into outer things. But the real thing is that as you wait upon the Lord, something on the inside of you called strength, inner strength, strength of heart, strength of mind, strength of vision, strength of purpose, strengths of conviction, all renewed. But if you just live a busy life, you're on the run, you'll get tired out. You must find time to refresh. You do this in the presence of the Lord. They shall run and not be weary. It says right there, they shall walk and not faint. Even into old age, the Bible says. Even in old age. So there's hope for all, right? <laughs> there's hope for you and for me as well. Um, 
And finally, this scripture, weeks ago, sitting there and announcements about listening prayer were being made. And, oh, this came to mind. I've got to show you. Uh, Psalm 61, verses 4 to 5. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Uh, your tent. This is his tabernacle. That, I mean, before there was a temple, that's what it was. The tabernacle, the tent of God. Let me dwell in your tabernacle forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. Now, we don't, we don't make vows as such, but we sure do cry out to God. We pray prayers. You've heard, you've heard our words. You've heard the cry of our heart. But this is the telling line. I love this line. You have given me the heritage. Now, what did I say heritage was another word for? The, for the land. The land represented rest and inheritance. What's your inheritance in Christ? He says, you've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. And so this is the whole point, of course, that those who believe enter that rest, those who disobeyed could not enter the rest. And you enter his rest by ceasing from your own works. Let me tell you, the big overriding thing there is a heart for God. That's known as the fear of the Lord. You've given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. That's what you're looking for. That's the reason why you put time aside Go and get in the presence of God. Seek his face. Unload your besetting sins. Listen. Listen to his voice. Why? Because on your heart, there is a holy reverence, a holy fear of the Lord. Well, we thank thank God for his word today. And uh, we're now going to bring our hearts to the Lord. And some of you may be very aware of the things that beset you, others aware of burdens and anxieties that somehow you haven't managed to pray through and place under the grace of God. You're all very much aware of the need to do these very things. Let's just bring that to the Lord now. There may be some present who have never made the first step of surrendering to Christ, but remember Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary, and I will give you rest. And so there's an invitation right now to bring your heart to Christ. Bring your heart to the Lord Jesus. Right where you're seated, would you surrender your heart? Would you say, Lord, I give you my heart. And would you teach me to fear your name? Would you teach me to love the things you love and to hate the things you hate? And would let, let everyone offer this kind of prayer. Lord, would you cleanse my heart of all sin? Whatever is your weakness, whatever your besetting sin, tell the Lord right now you disown it and you want to go free. Ask him to break the power of sin within so that you can go free from sinning and from sin. And Lord, I pray, I pray for each one. Thank you for the presence of a holy God. Thank you for the the presence of the Holy Spirit ministering the word of the Lord to every heart. Thank you for the presence of the Lord Jesus who right now 
has his arm around every person in this building and more besides. Let the work of the Spirit go deep to every heart. Lord, cleansing. I ask that you'd forgive the sin of each one. I ask you, Lord, you'd wash their conscience clean and wash away their guilt. I ask you, Lord, you'd break the power of besetting sin and bring them each to this entire sanctification of their heart to a, to a holy life, to purity of, lo- of living, cleansing. So there'd be cleansing in the house today, washing each one. Lord, today with these words, you have washed them with the word of God uh, and now wash them afresh with the blood of the Lord Jesus that washes away the, every sin and cleanses the heart. Thank you, Lord, the heart can be made spotless. We pray for that. For you said, you've said in your word, though, though your sins be red as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Lord, would you wash, wash the souls, wash the hearts. Let the word of God now, by the spirit of the Lord, the sword of the spirit, divide between soul and spirit and judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Lord, separate out of every heart right now the things that are unclean and the things that do not please you. Separate them out. May each, each one see clearly what that is and, and disown it. And Lord, break its power. Sanctify hearts today. Sanctify lives today. Let there be cleansing in the house today. And Lord, I pray for anyone present who has never known you, put your arm around them right now. Bring them firmly into Christ. Wash away their sins. As faith rises in their heart, I thank you, Lord, deliverance today, salvation today. My deliverance be in, be in every life today, over every home today. Your deliverance today. Breaking the power of the flesh and putting the power of Christ Within. Lord, give us ears to hear. Today, let us hear your voice. Lord, we purposely ask, make our hearts tender and our ears hearing, our eyes seeing, that we might receive the grace of God and hear your word today and the days to come. Thank you that you hear our prayers. And so, dear ones, I, I place upon you the blessing of God Almighty. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I say, peace to you. The Spirit of the Lord rest on you. The joy of the Lord fill your hearts. The Lord places covering and mercy and protection over your homes and your families. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, amen. Friends, it's, it's morning to you. I'm going to leave it right there because it's kind of like unfinished business. This has been good prayer here, but now alone. Alone somewhere, take, take these prayers up. You want a clean heart. You want a pure heart. You want to be in the rest of the Lord. You want to start finding greater inheritance than you've known, greater power than you've known. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And we look forward to a good week this week as uh, we... We listen. We seek to listen to his voice. We'll bless you one and all and 
Let's enjoy morning tea together.